0: Welcome to the Courage Coaching and Counseling Podcast with Savon Penn, Licensed Professional Counselor here in Portland, Oregon. Wherever you're at in life, this podcast will inspire and encourage you to be more brave in life and take the next best step between where you are and where you want to be. Hi guys, today's guest on Episode 5 of the Courage Coaching and Counseling Podcast is Becky Castle-Miller. She is a writer and a speaker on emotional, mental, and spiritual health in the church. She recently graduated from Northern Seminary with a Masters in New Testament Context, studying with Scott McKnight. Her discipleship workbook with Dr. McKnight is called Following King Jesus, and she's working on a new book about Jesus' emotions. She and her husband and their five kids and two cats just relocated to the U.S. after living in the Netherlands for the past eight years, working at an international church. I think you'll really enjoy this conversation with Becky Castle Miller. Hi, Becky. Welcome to the coaching, oh, the Courage, Coaching, and Counseling podcast.
1: I
2: am really excited and looking forward to this conversation.
0: Yes. Uh, we've uh, connected on social media for the past couple of years, and, uh, but this is our first conversation.
2: Yes. I'm really glad to actually talk face to face, not just by typing on Facebook.
0: Yeah. So the, uh, let's start with, with your background for, for listeners.
2: Sure. Um, I grew up as a preacher's kid and a military brat. So my dad was an army chaplain and I've moved something like 35 times in my life. I lived in Alaska and Germany and California and Missouri and a bunch of other places. Um, went to college in Oklahoma where I met my husband and we lived in Rhode Island together for about eight years. And then, for the eight years after that, we were living in the Netherlands and I was serving on the pastoral staff of an international church. And we've just moved back to the U S about seven months ago. And we live in Wheaton, Illinois now. So we've got five kids and two cats, and we made this huge family transition back to the U S in the middle of a pandemic. Um, it's been wild trying to integrate into a new community and go through reverse culture shock while really not leaving the house for seven months straight. Um, so there's been a lot of upheaval in our lives, but we're excited to figure out what God's calling us to do next. Um, I, in my undergrad, I studied writing and then I just finished my seminary degree at Northern seminary, studying with Scott McKnight. I just graduated in October. I did that long distance from the Netherlands And because of the time difference, I was doing online classes in the middle of the night, Dutch time, uh, which was really a stretching experience. So now I have a master's in New Testament context, and I'm hoping to do a Ph.D. Maybe in a couple of years, I'm doing the preliminary work to get ready to apply. Uh, I'd love to do the Ph.D. in New Testament at Wheaton College. So we'll see. That's just down the street from my new house um and i'm working on a book i'm turning my master's thesis on jesus and emotions into um a book for the church
0: wow i, I i'm looking forward to talking to you more about jesus and, and emotions but i want to I'm, I'm curious about like your life so far um uh before becoming a counselor i i thought i might be an army chaplain that's how i went okay. to seminary the first time okay was in seminary for 10 years so, wow! So I uh, uh, was uh, preparing to be a, a chaplain, army or or a hospital chaplain, mm-hmm. but then I took the counseling classes mm-hmm. and got the counseling uh, bug. Nice. The uh, but your 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 kids. How how long again were you in the Netherlands?
2: So we were there for eight years. When we moved, my oldest was five, my second child was three, and my third child was a baby. Mm-hmm and i had two more babies in the netherlands just a plug for the dutch approach to birth and healthcare having babies in the netherlands was one of the best experiences of my life their midwives are wonderful like people come from all over the world to be trained by dutch midwives
1: Mm. i had
2: two amazing home births in my bathtub in maastricht in the netherlands and then a maternity care nurse who um came to my home Every day for a week to care for me and the baby after each of those births, which was amazing. I wish all my American mom friends could have that experience of being cared for after having a baby. Um, So I had two children in the Netherlands. So when we moved back, now I have a 14-year-old, a 12-year-old, a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a five-year-old.
0: The, uh, so they, half their lives or more, actually more, they, they grew up in the Netherlands. Yes. This, this is culture shock. Seven oh, months yeah. Coming oh, back yeah. during a pandemic. Yes. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So did, did you view your time there as like, uh, like a missionary?
2: Sort of. We didn't go with a missions agency, but we did go with the intention of doing ministry. My youth pastor in high school had become a missionary with the Assemblies of God and was starting an international church in Maastricht and invited me and my husband to come and help with that. So my husband works in technology and he found a job that would uh, sponsor our residence permit. So we were there on his work visa. We never had to go through the missionary visa process. So, and he made a good salary. So he supported our family. So we didn't have to do fundraising. So we didn't do much of the traditional, what I think a lot of Americans think of as missions work in that sense. Um, so I was able to volunteer at our church and then come on staff at a, um, very, very, very small salary, um, and, and not need to worry about the finances for that. So I was able to serve basically, you know, in a sense, I was a missionary who had one supporter, my husband. Um, and we, we would, you know, laugh and talk about how he was kind of my benefactor for, you know, keeping up my ministry habit. Um, so I yeah, that was fun. So we led small groups together. Um, he did a lot with the worship team at our church there. And I started our small groups ministry, started a care team to talk about mental health, abuse, recovery, addiction, all that stuff in the church in healthier ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually um, came on staff um, and doing a lot of discipleship, spiritual formation, pastoral care.
0: Yeah. A lot. Lots of pastoral care, working with people emotional and spiritual health. So when you started seminary, did you know that you wanted to study uh, uh, emotions um, in the Bible, uh, in scripture, or did it come out of your ministry with people, like out of necessity Mm -hmm. to learn more about it?
2: It really was actually, my interest in the topic was one of the things that led me to seminary. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew since I was 16 years old I felt called to do international ministry work, uh, missions of some sort. but I also grew up um, in denominations that didn't think women could be pastors. So my conception of women in ministry was like pastor's wife or you know, children's church director or missionary. Um, as I encountered the work of Scott McKnight and others, I also owe a huge debt to Rachel held Evans as I changed the way I viewed the Bible on women and came to the conviction that women could be pastors. I realized, Oh, I'm called to be a pastor. That call has been there. I just didn't, I couldn't recognize it because I didn't even see that as a possibility for myself. So probably about seven six or seven years ago, I started feeling that call to specifically pastoring people, um, to preaching and teaching and shepherding people. And so I knew I needed to go to seminary to prepare for that. And at the same time, I had been going through my own learning process about emotions and emotional health. Um, I grew up really suppressing my emotions and thinking that that was godly, but I ended up making myself very, very emotionally ill. And I had an emotional breakdown in 2009. And as I learned to heal from that and rethought what the Bible taught on emotions, I just became very interested in the topic. And along the same side, I started studying spiritual abuse because those two are so linked. Sometimes misteaching on emotion is spiritually abusive. And there's very little emotional health in a spiritually abusive environment. So I've been studying emotional health, mental health. I went through postpartum depression myself, Um, and I was very interested in the intersection of uh, discipleship and spiritual formation with mental and emotional health, and I got very interested in Jesus's emotions probably about five years ago, and I started drafting a book on looking at Jesus's emotions in the Gospels, and I realized I didn't have the research skills and the biblical interpretation skills to write that book well. So that's this a very long answer that involves my story of calling and all that, but it was that combination of Love feeling it. called to pastor and uh, wanting to learn how to do proper academic biblical research and interpretation so that I could write about Jesus's emotions and understand it, mm-hmm. because I knew it was a need in the church, I knew we needed to change our conversation around emotions and discipleship, but I knew I wasn't educated enough to really um, lead that conversation um, or contribute something meaningful to it. So I went to seminary already knowing what my thesis topic would be mm-hmm. and worked with Dr. McKnight to refine that approach to emotions and discipleship culminating in my thesis project.
0: That, that's a little different than, than a lot of seminary students and probably your classmates.
2: I'm sure but, it is. Yes.
0: Yeah. Um, the, you, you don't do things halfway
2: like no like I, I am an all-in person
0: I have this goal I have this picture of this book that I want to write I'm, I'm gonna to go to seminary to make it like what it needs to be um, well
2: and in the process like yeah, really what I feel like I ended up learning by the end of seminary was how little I know hmm. right like I feel like I know less now than when I started just because I've seen the scope of biblical interpretation over the past 2000 years and my little knowledge of it. So now I'm like, you know, I think I need a PhD to go further on this.
0: Well, let's keep going. <laughs> let's keep going. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's awesome. So um, I, I, I want to pick your brain about that, but I want to go back if I may, and, and I don't want to press too much. So, so sh- share what you'd like. Uh, but I want to ask you about 2009 mm-hmm. and, and the breakdown. Because I think a lot of folks that struggle emotionally, um, they they're scared of having a breakdown, a mm-hmm. nervous breakdown.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so could you describe if if you're comfortable, like w- what that was like or what that mm-hmm. looked like? Um, because I'm, I'm hoping it'll help folks uh, be aware of like, am I there? Am I having one? Am I in the middle of one mm-hmm. or am I close mm-hmm. to one? hmm.
2: That's a really good question. And I realize I said it so flippantly just as I was sort of telling my story and giving the bullet point version. Um I and the only reason I can say, you know, oh by the way I had a complete emotional breakdown and then move on is because of the amount of therapy that I've done uh, of processing and healing from all of that. Um mm-hmm. but it really was a terrible experience when I was going through it. Um in 2009 My first child was two years old. My second child was nine months. And I think I had postpartum depression after my, my first child was born, but I had no concept of mental illness, postpartum depression. Um, therapy was seen as something you didn't need in the church. There was no, no one around me was talking about going to counseling. Um, I wasn't in a violently anti psychology church. And I know there are some like that says you should never take um, antidepressants or anxiety medication. You should never go see a secular therapist. You should only do biblical counseling, et cetera. So I wasn't in that extreme of an environment but it just wasn't talked about openly. So mm. I couldn't identify my own experience because there, I had no vocabulary for it. No one was talking about it. Mm. I just knew that my transition to becoming a mother was very, very hard and I was very, very sad. And I just assumed that was normal.
0: Were you being hard on yourself? Like, I...
2: um, maybe, um, when I was newly married, I got into even more fundamentalist circles than I had grown up in, um, with, um, my I don't want to get lost on rabbit trails. I will try to stay focused. Um, I had gone to Bill Gothard conferences growing up somewhat, but also my parents were not as legalistic as people who were really hardcore into Gothard. So I already had some of that legalistic thinking, but then when I was newly married, I got connected with like the vision forum bunch um, Doug Phillips. With that. Okay. Um, very, very conservative homeschooling group, um, with very strict gender roles for women, mm. um, hardcore patriarchy. Um, the, the quiver, it was very much connected with the quiverful movement, um, that, uh, Christians should have lots of children. Women should be wives and mothers, um, even like the stay-at-home daughter movement. Like daughters should grow up serving their fathers and then stay home until they get married and then they serve their husband. Mm. Um, So by the time I had children, that's a lot of the influence that I was hearing.
0: Yeah. Um, A a lot of couples, um, when they're starting out with marriage, they're looking for like a model because they want to be successful. Yes. So like, um, and and especially like, if you're, if you feel like you're needing help, like, yes, give me a plan, give me something, uh, l- l- give me some expectations and rules. So I, I kind of know if I'm doing it right or if mm-hmm. I'm okay. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yes. And I truly wanted to serve God and please God. That was so important to me. So when I had people saying, well, here's the model for how you be a godly woman, this whole stack of like must-haves as a getting into biblical womanhood Mm. um get married young have lots of babies homeschool your kids um so i was being told my ultimate purpose in life was to be a mom this should make me really happy and i was struggling so much and i just didn't know what to do with that Mm. so when my second child was born it was even harder because now i'm keeping it with two babies um and my husband was working a lot. So I was kind of doing a lot of it on my own.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, um, so when, when my son, Joshua, my second child was about nine months old, I flew halfway across the country to a family get together, uh, to my hometown in Missouri and something about the homesickness I had never processed from all those moves growing up, um, what I now could identify as triggers from painful experiences. Um, the postpartum depression that was undiagnosed, it all culminated into if just the sense like something inside of me snapped and I ran out of the venue and I just started sobbing and sobbing and I hadn't cried in years. I was so suppressing my emotions that I just didn't cry anymore. Wow! And it just all started coming out, I tears and snot and it was a mess And when I flew home back to Rhode Island, I cried almost every day for three months. (laughs) All that pent up emotion that I had been suppressing for so long was pouring out. Mm. I was not coping well. I was struggling to feed my kids and take care of them, um, keep up with the laundry and the dishes. And, you know, some days I would just let the kids watch cartoons and go back to sleep for hours because- I just, I couldn't function. Um, thankfully I had friends who had been to therapy, had dealt with depression themselves who said, Hey, you're depressed. You need to see a medical professional. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So I went to my midwife and, um, got connected with, um, a psychiatric nurse and, um, got diagnosed with postpartum depression and started antidepressants. We worked with several till we found a dosage and a, a type that worked for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then suddenly when we found the right medication and dosage within weeks, I felt normal again. Um, and it, it, the medication got me to the point where I could cope and function. And then I could do the higher level work of actually going to talk therapy. And I went to a licensed Christian counselor. My first experience with therapy, she was wonderful. And she taught me how to experience my emotions, how to name my emotions, how to sit with them and be okay with experiencing them instead of shoving them away. Um, And I just spent a long time um, feeling, (laughs) I don't know how else to put it. Like I would just sit on the floor of the shower sometimes and just feel stuff, feel sad and feel angry and feel hurt and feel disappointed and rejected and, all those uncomfortable emotions. I, I just let my body feel them and yeah. it was incredibly liberating. Yeah. So that was a very long answer to your question. No, um, great. but yeah. I, I would tell people it, you know, yourself, if something's off, go get help. You don't have to suffer. It's not normal to be that miserable.
0: Mm-hmm. The Becky, that point at, at which you snapped, after that, did you feel worse? Oh, yeah. Okay. Because
2: I wasn't feeling anything before that. Oh, right. Like I went from feeling nothing and just being kind of numb and going through life to feeling everything intensely. It, it's like the, the emotions that I had suppressed for years came back with a vengeance.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, and for, for folks that are pretty even keel and kind of have everything kind of in order the idea of like their emotions getting out of control that's scary um but you didn't choose it
2: no it it was like i had kept it at bay as long as possible and then i couldn't like the wave and weight of it was too much and it just knocked over my barricades and Mm -hmm. swamped
1: me
0: that's a great picture the um you're so expressive like i follow you on instagram and do you, do you feel like a different person from, from when you weren't feeling anything?
2: Yes. Um, in a good way, like I can look, hmm, I should say in some ways, I feel like I'm a different person now. And yet in some ways I'm back to who I really am. Mm. Um, when I was in, when I was a kid, when I was in high school, I was a really passionate person. Mm. Um, I was very expressive. I've always been very dramatic. I love acting and performing. i love loved costumes. Um, I even use them now, like in Bible teaching, give me a costume any day. I'll give you a character monologue from the Bible. That's one of my favorite things. <laughs> um, so after college though, um, and there, there's a lot of abuse in there as well. I was sexually abused as a child and in college. And mm. I think abuse really shuts us down too. I mean, when we experience trauma, our brains can't cope with it. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, our minds use numbing or shutting down as a coping mechanism. Yeah. So a lot of things, um, cynicism with re- religious hypocrisy, I saw at my U- Christian university um, that combined like all that homesickness of moving and the grief that I had never processed, leaving home for college, um, abuse that I never had words for, um, Mm. all of that contributed to that numbness, as well as this overwhelming belief that Christians should always be happy. Um, there's not space for bad emotions, negative emotions in Christianity. Um, and if I'm doing God's will, I, I must be happy about it. Mm. I'm not allowed to grieve. If I'm if I lose something because I'm following God, like I shouldn't grieve that I should just be happy. So I never had any way of processing grief. So all of those things combined led to that numbness. And then this huge rush of, I can't cope anymore. Mm. Emotions all coming out. Um, then it was tumultuous and crazy and hard. Um, and then I got to a healthy place after therapy. Um, but I never really went back and dealt with the abuse trauma Mm. until about 2018 when sexual assault was so prominent in the news. I started having physical trauma symptoms. I remember being at the library trying to write a seminary paper um, and there there was just this national discourse about sexual abuse thanks to the Me Too movement, which is a very good thing, but it's very triggering for survivors. Mm. And we're sitting at the library and my hands started shaking Like, that's so weird, what's going on? Mm -hmm. And um, then I started having flashbacks and I started dissociating, like like being out of my body and all of these overwhelming, like stuff I thought I was fine with Mm -hmm. was hitting me. Um, So I started doing some reading and realized I probably had complex, complex post-traumatic stress disorder from repeated trauma over time. Mm Um, So about two years ago, I reached out to a therapist that I knew through Twitter and asked about doing EMDR, which I had read about is a good treatment for complex post-traumatic stress, Mm -hmm. um, doing EMDR over video calls. And he got back to me a few months later and said, Hey, I've just been trained to do this. So if you want to try it, we can try it. So I started doing EMDR over Zoom with a, a trauma therapist and worked through so much um came to a whole new understanding of emotions and health and finally feel like i'm settled in my core self i'm really who i want to be so bringing that around to the answer to your question with Mm -hmm. all of that healing in a sense i'm a new person but in a sense i'm i'm just who God created me to be. Like that glimpse of myself I saw when I was younger, that person mm-hmm. I was when I was younger, before I went numb.
0: Through the trauma. And, yeah.
2: yeah, I'm back to that, but even mm-hmm. more. I mean, you know, now I'm 39 and now I have all these years of experience and life and learning. Um, so it feels like being new and being really back to the old me, both at the same time. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, the... Your, uh, you're, you're healing, like you're, you're able to talk about it. Um, but, but it, it's taken years, 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 and, and a
2: lot of money and time invested in therapy.
0: And you, you, you got to a level of, of healing, dealing with the postpartum depression that feel like, but th- there was more. Oh yeah. Um, and, uh, but, but you, but but you got the help that you needed. You didn't um, uh, stop short. Your your EMDR therapist, your trauma therapist, is mm-hmm. is he a Christian? Yes. Therapist? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Though, it, what difference has it made for you uh, to like some folks they're like? Do I need if I'm a Christian, I should see a Christian therapist? Mm-hmm. And some folks, that, um, they 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 they're fine with seeing. Mm-hmm. who's really good at what they do and um, what your thoughts on yeah. that? Yeah,
2: I actually, I don't think it's necessary for a Christian to see a Christian therapist any more than it's necessary to see a Christian brain surgeon or, you know, dietitian or physical therapist. We, um, Someone gets medical training and a trauma therapist has, there's medical training in there as well as psychological training and sociological training, interpersonal training. Um, they're a professional at their profession, they're certified, they're overseen if they're good, um, if they're doing things right, it doesn't matter if they're a Christian from that perspective, they can effectively treat you. The psychiatric nurse who diagnosed my medication was not a Christian and she saved my life. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would caution Christians not to get so hung up on needing a Christian therapist that they don't get help if they can't find the perfect person. Um, the way that Christian therapists can help is in relating to our faith background and that part of our story, because my therapist knows my context and understands it and has been through similar things himself. It, it made our therapy more effective because we could just, I could reference something and he would understand it. Um, you know, like I can talk about, um, deconstructing like Bill Gothard's views on mental health help. And he like, he already knows, like I don't have to explain the whole thing. He understands the context. So we can get farther in therapy faster because we have a shared context. Um, He is very aware of the sexual abuse scandals in the church which I've researched as part of my spiritual abuse research. Um, So we can talk about concepts from that. Um, So there are benefits to having someone who can understand your denominational background, some of the church trauma, especially when you're dealing with church-related trauma. Mm. A Christian therapist might be able to understand that in a unique way. But there's, on the other side, a non-Christian therapist might be able to say, hey, what you're experiencing is not normal. That's cult-like behavior. Like, I can tell you that from the outside, that's not safe. Get out of that environment. Where mm. a Christian therapist might not be able to tell you that. So there are, there are pros and cons to both. Um, I would personally advise someone to stay away from biblical counseling which may sound bad cause I'm a pastor, but like new counseling that believes in only using the Bible and doesn't believe in using any psychological or trauma-informed therapy training, I would encourage people to stay away from that specifically um, and actually see a licensed therapist with proper training. Um, one thing my therapist does that's helpful is even when we're doing EMDR, And he does this to the comfort level of each client, but we'll say, do you want to invite the Holy spirit into this? Like, what can the Holy spirit speak into this situation as we're reprocessing these memories? And that's been really helpful for me. Mm
0: -hmm. And that, that might be something a a biblical counselor um, might also do.
2: Right. And I'm, Yeah. yeah, someone who like someone who counsels from the Bible, I'm not saying that's bad. There's like a particular school of thought that rejects anything, but the Bible as a counseling tool that I think can limit the, the growth and health that we can get from a therapist. Um, certainly as a, as a pastoral counselor, I will use the Bible, um, as I'm encouraging people. Um, I forgot where my train of thought went a million directions. I forgot what I was going to say, but anyway,
0: the, um, I'm, I'm curious, uh, in ministry in the, in the Netherlands and, um, it's uh, are, were there cultural differences with how emotionally healthy the uh your, your church was? Um, and I, I I maybe the more important question I have is, as uh as a minister, uh, your thoughts on how spiritual direction and mentorship and discipleship how that can like come alongside folks that are in therapy or mm-hmm. folks that maybe they're not ready to go to counseling because they're, they're kind of scared of that, but, but they, they want to pursue emotional health Um, Mm -hmm. for, for listeners and church leadership. what would you say, Becky, Mm -hmm. from your experience?
2: We were an international church, not just cross-cultural. So it wasn't just American and Dutch. It was, it was multicultural. So we had people from, you know, average Sunday, maybe 30 different nations. We had Amazing. over a hundred, a hundred nations represented over the time I was at the church, people wow. coming and going. So I got to learn about what churches taught about emotional health all over the world. I had conversations with a friend from Kenya about it. Um, a British Nigerian friend. We talked a lot about her culture's view on emotion, um, how her Nigerian parents contrasted with her experience in the UK and hmm. um, talked with german friends about emotional health brazilian so it was really cool Mm -hmm. to get a global perspective on different church perspectives on emotional health it it widened my experience and my knowledge Mm -hmm. greatly um and it was interesting to see some of the negative exports from american christian culture um damaging people in other countries that is such that's such a shame. Um, like a friend from Nigeria told me that the Tim LaHaye book, um, the spirit controlled temperament, um, got to her in Nigeria and really damaged her emotional health. Um, I actually did a lot of work on that book in my thesis and it, it blatantly calls si- emotions sins, which I think is very damn like it's anger and fear are sins. I don't agree with that at all. And I can see why that's really damaging. So mm-hmm. I hate to see that the American church has exported some unhealthy ideas around the world. Um, to answer your other question, I think that, uh, spiritual direction and spiritual formation and discipleship need to work together with therapy for Christians. My friend, Kristen Kinsevich, um, has a great website, churchtherapy.com and her model, uh, she just finished her PhD in psychology. Her model is to have a licensed therapist on staff at a church paid for by the church, like paid a salary from the church with office space from the church, doing professional counseling for people in the church for free or low cost. Like the church funds the therapist so that the congregants can access therapy, especially in a low income place. Like she was serving in inner city, Boston Hmm. and with the client's permission, they work together with the pastor's to help someone's holistic, spiritual, mental, emotional health. So the pastors will do what pastors do, which is soul care, biblical guidance, discipleship, helping someone grow in faith. The therapist will deal with trauma, addictions, mental illness, medication, and they work hand in hand to help the person get holistically healthy. I love that model. I would love to see that replicated more.
0: Hmm. When I... um went from my master's in pastoral studies to master's in counseling. That's, that that was the picture that I had. I was like, Oh, I'll be like a counselor on staff at some big church. There are some like logistical and ethical things to kind of wrestle with uh, right. with that. But I, but I do know um, that there are like some big churches in Texas that, that do that. Um, and I'm kind of jealous um, that they get to do that. Um but yeah, uh, caring for people holistically, and um, and not spiritualizing everybody's struggles as right. sin, right? Um, or you're doing something wrong or lack of faith. Right, it's so damaging. Um, so the so I, I want to ask a little bit uh, about your thesis, mm-hmm. and then and then. Uh, transforming it in, into a book. What has been your response, the response to, to your thesis, or or like, as you talk with others about it and kind of share what you've been learning?
2: There's a huge interest in emotional health in the church now. And we can thank authors like Pete Scazzaro, who wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality for really opening that conversation and really helping make it okay to talk about emotions in the church. Um, authors like our friend, Mark Allen with his book, The Wisdom of Your Heart. He did a lot to advance that conversation. Mm -hmm. That's a really important book. So it's becoming more and more talked about, but people are still hungry to learn more. I just ordered like five new books that have come out in the past three years on emotions and the church and discipleship and spirituality. I'm looking forward to to reading through that stack and updating um, my understanding with what's being written out there now. Uh, But I'm finding there's a huge interest in talking about the role that emotions play in our spiritual life. I think the perspective, as I reviewed Christian books from the 70s, 80s, 90s, the perspective that's been out there has been um, emotions will lead us away from God. We can't trust our emotions. We shouldn't listen to our feelings. Um, There seems to be a, a fear coming from Christian leaders about congregants experiencing their emotions. And some of that is an understandable pastoral fear of like, yeah, we don't want our people to sin or walk away from God, but emotion becomes the target. And I think a way that it's not warranted. Um, The work that I've done in looking at emotion in the Bible, looking at Jesus's expressions of emotions, looking at what neuroscience is discovering about emotion, um, like the new theory of constructed emotion, um, I, I, which actually I think accords really well with the biblical's view on emotion, that emotion isn't divorced from thought logic and emotion are not opposed. They're all part of the same process in our minds. And our emotions actually prepare us to take action toward a goal. Our emotions show us our values. And as we change our thinking and our concept system, we begin to construct different emotions, which I think leads well toward emotional discipleship. Like our emotions can be discipled just like every other part of our lives. So I think that it's emotions don't lead us away from God. Our, our emotions are actually really important part of our obedience to God. Our emotions motivate us and help us keep going in faithful obedience. Our emotions help us move toward the goal of serving others and loving God and loving our neighbor. And our emotions help us enjoy life. God created us to be emotional. Jesus is emotional. So I think we need to change that perspective on emotion in the church from being something to be afraid of and to oppose and, and being something that we should embrace and disciple.
1: Yeah.
0: As we embrace that, we we become more both more human, but also more like Jesus. Yes. Um the um be, because you know, some folks like they like to emphasize that love is an action and it's a decision and it's a choice, but it's also an emotion and a yes. passion. And uh, I love what you said. I'm gonna like rewind what you said about emotions. Uh, w- what I um, share with folks is uh, emotions are like the fuel uh, uh, or, or the brakes like the gas pedal mm-hmm. or the brakes on, on our decisions. Um, and, and I think maybe that's tied to a little bit, what you described as like discipling our emotions, like training our emotions. And some people, they're going to be like, Oh, discipleship training, learning. Like I can I can do that part. (laughs) If emotions are involved, uh, if that stuff is involved with, um, uh, being emotionally healthy, I I think I might be able to do that, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: but, uh, just acknowledging emotions. And I, and earlier you said trauma informed, uh, care, um, uh, you know, if emotions are, are are evil and leading leading people astray or making them vulnerable to being led astray, um, then th- then we have to protect ourselves from that and not go mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. But but if leaders could understand and parents could understand how important acknowledging emotions, the reality, validating it, and and learning how to handle that well, mm-hmm. then we learn how to how to Uh, grow our people, how to support our people better, how to help them uh, walk by faith uh, better. Um, And when we don't acknowledge or understand how um, powerful trauma is in the lives of our people, then we don't care for for them well. And it's it's so confusing and hard to go through it alone.
2: And it's so easy for even well-meaning church leaders to re-traumatize someone Mm. by handling their trauma poorly. Um, The things that might work with someone who's not traumatized in the spiritual direction you give them can actually further harm and and re-traumatize someone who's dealing with PTSD. Um, Can you give an
0: example of that, Becky? Like What what that might sound Um,
2: like? It's easy to, you use the word over-spiritualize, it's easy to over-spiritualize someone's uh, struggle. So if you see someone having an emotional response that seems disproportionate to the situation, Mm -hmm. you could look at them and say they're undisciplined, they're immature, they have an emotional problem and um, pathologize it or call it a sin issue or an immaturity issue. And treating them that way will only increase their self-loathing and their sense of not being good enough that they're already overwhelmed with because of the trauma. And Um, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. And it's telling them like you're, you're a failure as a Christian. Well, they're already struggling. That's not going to help. Whereas if you understand, Oh, Hey, this person has been through trauma. What they're exhibiting right now is probably coming out of hypervigilance. They're Mm -hmm. seeing a threat where there's not a threat and their um, self-protection system is, is, setting off alarm bells and going bonkers. And what I need to do right now is not tell them that they're failing, but be super gentle and let them know that they're not in danger. Mm-hmm. The trauma informed pastor can like de-escalate the situation and say, you know, Hey, did, did something I say like trigger, um, a trauma response? I'm so sorry. Can you help me understand what was triggering for you so that I can avoid doing that again, mm. like understand it's not an emotional problem. It's a trauma problem. Mm. And it's not that they're emotionally unhealthy. It's that it comes across as an emotional problem or a spiritual problem. Cause you don't understand the trauma behind it. Um, so then encouraging them to get help from a trauma therapist and actually healing the brain damage from the trauma, um, mm helping their, their nervous system and everything come, come into healing. Um, then their emotional responses will become proportionate because they're not experiencing triggers and hypervigilance and all of that. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of an example, like understanding trauma will help you pastor people better and not further damage them.
0: Yeah. That's really good. Becky, as you were describing that, I was thinking of like the ways we do church. We, we do like really loud worship music and we do a sermon and, and give information. And I thought, uh, I love that stuff. But in terms of someone who's been traumatized, like how healing is that? And I, I, as you were just describing, I, I thought, man, we, we need to slow things down and we really need to turn down the volume to to actually get in touch with our emotions or or the, the 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 wounds and the parts that need to be healed and and kind of go slow with people to, to allow them to, to heal gent- gently mm-hmm. um it it's it's hard to see people suffer we we want them to get better quicker um i mean i feel that as a, as a therapist um the it's so it's so easy to write people off mm-hmm. um so i, I want uh, to talk to you a little bit about this um just in the last few weeks um that the idea um, or, or the reality of uh, folks deconstructing their faith mm-hmm. and uh people like well covid made us leave church yeah um but people leaving their faith um, and really reevaluating their faith. Um, how do you feel um, your or your your experience as a, as a pastor, um, but but also like your research? Um, how does that intersect with with folks deconstructing and reconstructing their faith?
2: You you said something really. Powerful in our conversation before you started recording that so much of deconstruction is people searching for healing from how emotions and other things have been handled poorly in the church in the past. I think that's profound and that's absolutely true. People who have been spiritually abused or given bad teaching um, are hurt. And they need to heal from that. And part of that healing process is dismantling the damaging theology that hurt them in the first place. Uh, So much of who Jesus is, is misrepresented in, in some ways that we do church and we do teaching the kindness, the gentleness of Jesus. We miss that too often. So I think part of, of the deconstruction has been a bit of a buzzword for probably 10 years or so, but I feel like it's getting even more attention now. I mean, I would say I started deconstructing probably 12 years ago um, by which I mean reevaluating what I believed and trying to understand healthier ways of being a Christian because the way I was being a Christian was not healthy. I've come to learn it. It, it's not healthy because it wasn't right. It wasn't biblical. Legalism is not the way of Jesus. Um, mm. Harshness is not the way of Jesus. Abuse is not the way of Jesus.
0: Mm. Um, I, want, I want. I'm going to put those as a bumper stickers. Love it. <laughs> underline those. Underline. Yes. Oh.
2: So we we have to question the theology and the biblical interpretation that got us into unhealthy places. And so some of that does mean rejecting church teachings. But rejecting specific denomination teachings or specific pastor's teachings doesn't mean rejecting Christianity. It doesn't mean walking away from Jesus. Many of my peers have felt that they had to walk away from the institutional church to find Jesus because they weren't finding him in the churches that they were in. Hmm. Um, And I'm not anti-church. I love the church. I believe the church is where God's kingdom is lived out now. I dedicating my life to serve the church. So that's not an anti-church statement. It's an anti-bad church statement. It's an anti-unhealthy church statement. Like let's really find Jesus and exhibit his love and character in our churches and stop hurting people so that churches don't trigger people's trauma. So someone can walk into a church service and find Jesus in community and not be re-traumatized. We have got to figure out how to do that because we're failing.
0: Yeah. And as, as a, a therapist, I don't want people, church attenders, ch- church members to need to come to counseling just for kindness and a place to have their story told and understood and to experience healing.
2: So um, many of my, like my seminary sisters, the women I've gotten to know at Northern Seminary are in therapy because of what's happened to them in the church it is their church experiences that had to send them to therapy because they were so damaged that's tragic the place that should be the place of healing is the place of pain and damage
0: it, it shouldn't be that way
2: no yeah
0: the I'm, I'm glad you're writing your book thank you um and uh in the meantime i i'm following uh, along as you share your 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 studies you're reading, uh, like, in, enjoyed your recent Instagram uh, uh, chapter reviews um, on on the book you're reading. Uh, with uh, the, the time uh, we have left, is there anything else, Becky, that you'd like to share that we haven't touched on?
2: Um, this is really fun. This went some directions that I I don't think either of us were planning, but I really like I really like where we ended up. Um. I love being able to connect and share a passion for making the church a place of healing for people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we need, I think we need more Christian therapists who are doing the work that you're doing is bringing healing to people's hurting places, um, and also educating pastors and other church leaders on how to do church in healthy ways, um, that that I think is the revolution that needs to happen in the church is is for counselors to train pastors um, to stop hurting people. That that is my passion and vision for the church right now is that we would become places of emotional health, not emotional harm. That we would become places of uh, spiritual and mental healing, um, instead of places of spiritual abuse and further damage inflicted on people with mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just I love being able to share that passion and and doing this work, uh, your, your podcast, this work that you're doing to bring these conversations around. So I'm really glad that you're doing this.
0: Thank you. Thank you for coming on, Becky. Can you imagine if um, when we return to church, getting through this pandemic, that it would, that it would be healthier and safer um, emotionally and spiritually? For I
2: would love everybody. to see that. Yes, Great. absolutely.
0: Thank you. appreciate Becky coming on the podcast and sharing so uh, openly about her story about her struggles with mental health and the process of healing that she's uh, gone through and continues to go through and I hope it encourages you uh, if you're struggling uh, emotionally uh, to get the help that you need. and, uh, if you're not, I, if you, I hope it helped you understand, uh, mental illness a little bit better and, uh, that that'll help you encourage and support loved ones in your life that might be struggling in the same way. I just, um, I, I am hoping to have more writers on, on the podcast and, uh, I just love hearing their stories and, uh, Becky, she's, she's just so, uh, energetic and and articulate i I, i'm looking forward to hearing uh reading her book um uh eventually and uh in the meantime uh she's uh like like we mentioned she's uh posting on instagram and sharing what she's learning and reading uh so i i think that'll uh add value uh to your understanding uh, and uh, following along with her.